The Real Chemistry Podcast connects the dots between our guests and the innovative work they do to show up and shape the future of healthcare. Why? So you, the listener, are encouraged to join us on our relentless pursuit to make the world a healthier place for all. Some may call it idealism. We call it real chemistry. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, Chief Marketing Officer of Real Chemistry and host of the Real Chemistry Podcast. And today we have a cool interview with someone I've been trying to get for uh, a few months now. We were supposed to get together at uh, the health conference and then the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference. You'll hear us talk about that as we get started. But Andrew Parker, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Papa. And during our conversation, you'll find out more about where that name came from. Sounds like a lovely name, but lots of uh, backstory to that. We'll talk about how Andrew came to this, you know, as a serial entrepreneur from a a history of entrepreneurs. Uh, We'll talk about the company, talk about his advice to entrepreneurs, this new workforce they've created called the Papa Pals and what the importance is and how not only do they benefit the members, but they also, uh, there's a little bit of reverse mentoring going on as well. And uh, then we'll talk a little bit about sort of Andrew's wish and how he sees the aging in uh, place happen and what the importance is of having a service like Papa to keep people sort of connected and moving in the right direction. And I will make a little editorial note. We didn't get to mention this during the podcast, but I'm a huge Star Wars fan and I'm assuming this was Star Wars um, inspired, but Andrew and his fiance Rami have a dog named Chewy. I assume that that's short for Chewbacca. If it's not, then I hope it is. But anyway, I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. So have a seat. Grab your favorite beverage and take a listen. All right, Andrew, let's go ahead and get going. And I'm excited to do this. We tried at two different other live events, uh, both Health and JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, to do this in person. But for some reason, the world conspired against us. So here we are today in the Zoom box. I do appreciate you taking the time and, uh, I want to jump into your background, right? So we'll we'll get a little into the company that we talked about that you founded, uh, Papa, in just a minute. But you have a interesting background story. I think probably not dissimilar from other entrepreneurs, but I guess the point at which you knew you were going to be an entrepreneur is probably earlier than most. So I did read in, a, uh, I think, some of the background that as early as high school, you were thinking you wanted to do something very entrepreneurial, like what led you to this dream and what made you feel like, you know what, I'm not going to just go and do a nine to five job. I'm going to do something special and put it into the world. All right, well, thank you for having me today. I'm glad we're finally doing this next time. We'll, we'll try to do it in person. You know, for me, it was interestingly more obvious to be an entrepreneur only because it's all I ever knew growing up. My father's an entrepreneur. My grandfather, Papa, who uh, inspired the name, was an entrepreneur. I actually realized early in Papa's uh, evolution that every male blood related to me was an entrepreneur in some way, shape, or form. Doctor offices, you know, small practices, jewelry stores, but also you know, quite large tech companies. And so my dad used to make this joke every time he came home. He goes, oh, I got fired again. Like, Dad, you know, you can't get fired when you run your own company. Later, I did find out that that is possible. But um, in any case, uh, it was definitely inspiring to me and just how I thought about the world and uh, definitely what I wanted to do from a young age. Well, that's cool. And I think you probably get two reactions when you come from a family of entrepreneurs, right? It's like either you run toward it or you run away from it. So we're glad that you ran toward it. 
uh, similar to a lot of doctors and, and lawyers and such. Now, I want to rewind a little bit, or actually, I guess we're fast forwarding from you know your high school years, and I want to talk because sometimes that you know foundational um, work experience can play a large role in how we end up where we end up, right? So. You spent a lot of time at a company called MD Live, uh, watching it grow from a small startup to a large telehealth company serving 35 million members. That's a lot. What was this journey like? And more importantly, because I think as the CEO today, like there's no blueprint, right? But what did you learn from that experience that sticks with you most today? So MD Live was kind of the breeding ground of my entrepreneurial spirit in practice. My father actually founded MD Live and I joined that company in like 2010, I even interned there before, maybe it was like seven or eight people. And the company grew from this concept of virtually connecting to a doctor, which at the time was kind of this blasphemous concept of why would you do that? That doesn't work. The video chat didn't exist. Zoom wasn't a company. Um, so we had to build all these components from scratch, scheduling, prescription delivery, uh, video chat component and, and all the pieces in between. And so when I joined the company, it was just kind of funky idea. And we spent a lot of time explaining like, what is telehealth? That was like first and foremost. And then once they understood that a little bit, you know, what is what is MD Live? And so working there, I learned everything from sales, which is what I was hired for, selling into employers as a benefit and insurance carriers as a benefit, which obviously helped frame uh, the business model that Papa does, which is exactly what we do here at our organization. It also taught me how to build company, how to build culture, how to think about product strategy, things I didn't really have a lot of uh, experience with. Keep in mind, I didn't have a lot of experience at all. I was 22 or 23 at the time when I joined the company and telehealth caught fire uh, at the time, at least in the infancy and employers started to pick it up as a benefit. So I was able to learn everything kind of about company building, everything from raising money to building technology, to understanding user feedback, you know, to building a good business. Um, but I frankly think I learned most of what not to do. You know, honestly, MB Live was great, but it had a lot of flaws. And those flaws were lessons learned that I didn't have to personally experience as much, but saw other people making those mistakes and applied those lessons to Papa. And I really think it's been wildly helpful to get Papa you know, to the position we're at today, you know, we're only five years old. We have over a hundred something health plans, you know, millions and millions of members have access to Papa. And I don't think without that experience, I would have had it. So it was kind of like the school of hard knocks or of, uh, health tech building in a time where health tech wasn't really much of a thing. And I'm very fortunate for that experience. And I'm, I'm very uh, glad that it helped me to build Papa as well. Well, I love that you pointed that out because I think a lot of people always feel like it's the building on the successes and looking at the successes that get you to where you need to go. And I am a big believer that sometimes it's those mistakes or failures or you know the things that you don't like about a particular culture or company that do give you a lot of input in terms of where you want to go. I want to make a little sidebar comment because I think you'll appreciate this. You're a little younger than I am, but you talked about telehealth. And I think it is amazing to look today at what telehealth is probably vis-a-vis -vis to where you were. And it reminds me of cycles with things like mobile and social and the web, right? I remember early days, like the World Wide Web coming on board and me learning how to do HTML and waiting for pages to load. And you think today how easy, like how stupid simple it is. And today with telehealth, maybe not perfect, but you know, you have like you click a button and they call you on FaceTime you know, all the infrastructure is there. The bandwidth for the most part is there. So it's it's crazy how far we've come, you know, just over the last 5, 10, 20 years in that regard. 
I do want to dig in a little bit to what Papa does, and I will also get to the the founder story in a second. Um, but you mentioned a little bit of the statistics. I think people are probably starting to get a sense of what you are. But let's talk a little bit about what Papa is and who you serve as an audience. So uh, Papa is a platform that connects older adults and families to what we call PALS, which provide companionship and assistance. And we really have created that category to drive people, help them spend time with them. We used to call it family on demand, but it really is an extension to the family to be able to use our technology to request someone to help with those different things. And we started off as a consumer service in Miami, right behind me, our first few visits, actually two buildings behind me uh, is where I came up with the original idea for Papa, which was initially to help my grandfather, uh, who we called Papa. And we thought we could empower a new kind of care built on human connection by removing bathing and toileting. So we're allowing this opportunity to people that maybe weren't in the industry before, empowering them with technology and then giving them access to you know, members that need help with various things. We're not a home care company, we're a companionship company, and we really created that category and have pushed it forward. And now we work with health plans to offer this as a benefit free to every member uh, paid for by their insurance. Um, so it's been an amazing experience so far. We've learned a lot about how to help people. And the interactions are very nuanced. You know, we show up at someone's house and they're lonely and they're isolated. They don't have a car and they just need help. And it's not clinical help. You know, 80% of outcomes are driven by social drivers of health. If you're lonely and isolated and don't have a car, other things are going to happen. Um, a lot of them are negative. And if we can kind of help fill that gap, it's it's pretty incredible. So that's where we started and, and we're excited to see where we'll go. Well, I want to dig into that a little bit more because, you know, it's not unusual for a company, Angie's List, Craigslist, to be named after a founder or maybe even a loved one. This one was named after your grandfather, Joseph, you mentioned, you know, you called him Papa. Let's dig into a little bit of that. Like, I know everyone probably goes through trials and tribulations with members of their family, but this is a pretty specific one. And what was it, you know, in particular with Papa that, you know, got you thinking along these lines and made you say, you know what, I'm not just going to help him. I'm going to actually build a company or an idea around this. So my grandfather uh, moved to the United States from Argentina, probably in like 1956 or so, 1957. So when he was in his thirties, my mother was the first American born here. He's an entrepreneur, started a construction company, tough guy, very serious man, like wore the same outfit every day, tucked in his uh, shirt into his pants, like was very much uh, specific on how he went about life. And then suddenly he needed help. And this was the man that never needed help in his whole life, you know, as you could imagine, which I think a lot of people have this experience with their grandparents in particular, that generation. And so helping him was really difficult. He didn't need bathing and toileting. He needed me, but I was busy at the time building MB Live and, you know, starting, you know, because of the thinking about the early days of Papa. And so I found um, if I could get Papa to be paired with someone that didn't make him feel like he was being cared for, but was still able to help him, it would be pretty powerful. And the original idea was, can we get him a college student, which we thought would kind of make him feel like a grandchild, which you know was kind of similar to the age I was at at the time, uh, to drive him and help him and spend time with him, but not make him feel cared for and provide him with what we call true independence, where he could request the service. It didn't have to be me helping him on his behalf. And uh, we tried that. I put up on Facebook, who wants to be a pal to my papa, literally. And I get the chills when I say that. And I found the uh, post recently. And it's pretty cool. It wasn't like this viral thing, like 10 people, you know, said that they were interested in doing it. And we found a pal that really just clicked with my grandpa. And I realized, wow, if I could get papa to like this, I could get the world to like this. And that was really the big aha moment. And 
you know, maybe a couple months after testing it, I, I quit my job with not so much evidence that would work, but enough evidence that we're building something people want. You know, my grandpa wanted and the 10 other people I got to use that wanted it. And it wasn't you that wanted it for your parents. It was the older person. So I thought there was something super remarkable about that. And if I quit my job and be live at the time where I was doing great and the company was growing and there was not really a big reason to leave other than I just felt this passion of, wow, I could maybe help others. And uh, and so we, I quit my job in May of 2017 and the rest is history. Well, it's a great story, and uh, we'll we'll talk more about sort of the how you're impacting and the size of the you know the the group that you recruit on top of your day to day workers. I do want to go back to something, and I think I mentioned right up front, you and I were supposed to meet in person at Health HLTH last fall. Uh, we weren't able to make it work, but you did do a panel, and that was one of the things that was intriguing to me. And the panel was called "Founders Who Dared to Think Differently," and clearly. You have decided to think differently. What's some advice that you shared for those that are looking to innovate in healthcare and break some of those traditional models? Yeah, it's uh, been amazing. And I don't think I realized the impact of what we were doing originally. I was just simply thinking, can we pair older people with younger people? It's a very simple concept. We did always want to sell it to health insurance. I think what's one of the most amazing things we've done is really built this new kind of care. Historically, there's doctors, there's nurses, and there's caregivers, but there's a shortage of all those care types. And so we've literally invented a new type of care that didn't exist before. I try to tell our team, it's kind of like we invented a new form of doctors. Um, They're not providing clinical service. And it's not just a consumer service. This is consumers using it, but Medicare Advantage, Medicaid and commercial employers are paying for this. So to convince an incumbent, this kind of old school approach to healthcare that typically exists within healthcare organizations that healthcare typically provides to use this non-licensed Uh, type of care in a way that's safe and high quality and is also moving the needles on things like outcomes and loneliness and lowering costs is pretty uh, remarkable. And so that is something that I'm very proud of. And so what I would tell founders is you may have a view or there may be a view of things that exist already, and you'll come up with a concept that doesn't work within that view, which is kind of like a box. And a lot of people say, oh, I can't do it because of this. You're always going to find reasons why you can't do it. Obviously, you want it to be safe and high quality and think about those things. I'm not suggesting you know, creating new forms of diagnosis without going through the proper process. But a lot of times you could look at what exists and say, maybe we could do it differently. And so that's what we did very early on. It was somewhat innate to my personality, frankly, not like moving fast and breaking things per se, but just kind of seeing if there's alternate routes. A lot of times people look at what exists and says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to fix this thing. We're going to make it different. But a lot of times you could just look at a completely different area and there may be a way to resolve it. And so I think we just look way outside of what existed. And I think that was a superpower that most ignored, frankly. And most people didn't get what we were doing for a very long time. And now it's you know become one of those things that are obvious. You see it with Airbnb, you see it with Uber, you know, you see it with things like that. And I feel proud that uh, Papa's doing that. And the truth is we need this help. You know, 10,000 people turning 65 every day. It's the fastest growing demographic. There's a shortage of caregiving across the board and other care types. And so if we don't create a new kind of care and we don't help our older uh, people in America and across the world, we're going to be in bigger problems. So there needs to be a resolve. And, you know, technology is part of that resolve, but really the core of it for us is a new kind of care. Well, I, I love the way you've thought about it. And given the fact that you grew up in the telehealth world and saw all the barriers that needed to be taken down to make that effective, right? To 
finally, I mean, you, I'm sure you had seen success, but then to see the pandemic really kind of put the cherry on the, the cake, right. Where people of all walks of life got comfortable with this idea that you had to use telehealth because we couldn't go into doctor's offices. Speaking of the pandemic, I do want to touch on this because we know it was hard on a lot of people, young and old, um, but particularly older adults and those with mental health issues, which I think everything was magnifying that much more during the pandemic due to isolation and inability to do things that they were used to. What more can we do to help this growing number of older adults who are alone or without social support? And that number, by the way, was somewhat staggering with the 10,000 turning, you know, what did you say? Over 65 every day. It's a lot, right? Every single day. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's significant, which is like, great. People are living longer. They're living healthier lives. But that also creates this interesting uh, kind of a situation. Uh, for us, you know, we really wanted to just make sure that we were helping our members. Like people asked me, we were sending at the time young people into old people's homes. And every news station said, don't do that. So that was, I guess, scary, but we didn't think about like, is Papa going to shut down? We thought, how do we help older adults in this time? And, you know, I think a lot of the recommendations was like, don't go near them, but that actually exacerbates the issue. And at the same time, we had to balance that. And thankfully I had this experience in telehealth. So it was very natural for us to consider virtual visits. And we provided what we called in quotes, uh, air quotes here, assistance from a distance. And so that meant, can we talk to you via phone and video? which we did in 2020 and 2021, we probably did 700,000 virtual visits with older adults from zero, you know, prior. And these were things like just being there for them, being a friend, being supportive, listening to them, making them feel comfortable, uh, but also doing things that they needed. They still needed food. They still needed medicine. You know, they needed to get out of their house when that became more appropriate. So how do we handle that in a safe way um, was really our primary focus. And the thing I always recommend to people in general is call the older adults in your family. Like call your mother if you have one, call your father, call your grandparents if they're uh, still around. And I think, you know, funny enough, I become a better grandson than I ever was. I have one grandmother left, uh, Grandma Shelley, and I try to speak to her and see her as much as I can. And so I do think that uh, the human element is really critical. Like being there for someone is not always as hard as it seems. A five minute phone call goes a very long way. So I'd recommend that at, at the core. But just to think about how do we support people even in these terrible times? And actually what's beautiful about it is older adults said, we're not technologically deficient. I know how to use a phone. I know how to type. I know how to use this device that my grandkids gave me. I don't want to sit here alone. And so it really pushed uh, them forward in terms of their adaptability to new technologies. And just from the data I just mentioned, you could see that they were open to virtual visits, whether it be video or telephone, you know, depend on the individual and their capabilities and, and what they had available to them. Uh, but virtual is now a core part of our business. So we do virtual and in-person visits. I always thought about doing virtual at some point, And trust me, a lot of people you know, including me, thought that was obvious, but we needed to wait for a moment like this. We didn't want the pandemic to be the reason, but regardless, that's what happened. And we were there to support people. And frankly, the reason that happens isn't some marketing slick I put together or a one pager or like hammering them with notifications. It's a product that people need and want. And you don't have to be sick to have Papa. Oftentimes with telehealth, you have to be, you know, getting it at this perfect moment. I used to joke, years before the pandemic to our chief marketing officer at MD Live, 
the number one way to drive telehealth adoption is to get everyone sick at the same time. <laughs> well, your wish came true. It, it was, so, a little foreshadowing. I, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't start the pandemic and I didn't want that to be the reason, but I, I did know it would take this massive behavior change. With Papa, you need an unmet social need. I have unmet social needs. You have unmet social needs. And so it was. Um, it's a paradigm shift. And I also think we built this product that doesn't feel like a healthcare product. It's not gray and boring. It's fun. It's energetic. It's exciting. It's trustworthy in a way that I don't think healthcare historically has been. That's also helped with it. And which also drives positive outcomes and a great experience, which ultimately brings value to the member and to the health plan and then to the PAL because you know this is something they want to do and they're getting paid for it. Well, I mean, I, I love that thinking, and those are all points I hadn't taken into consideration. And I'd say even starting with the name, right, Papa, that just sounds friendly, and I think everyone has a fond grandparent memory in their life. I do want to drill down on that because you've mentioned Papa Pals uh, a few times, and I've seen that you've referred to them as ninjas, right? Like they're just so good at what they do. And you mentioned this as really sort of this new part of the healthcare force, which you know also very important, or care force. Uh, that you've unlocked by, you know, tapping into these folks. So let's talk a little bit about how you sort of thought to, I know you said that you did this ad like for your Papa early days, cause you couldn't be there, but you know, how have you turned this into a force and then any favorite pal stories that you'd be willing to share? I'm sure you have many of them. Yeah. The, the pal stories are amazing. You know, we just to reverse the, the question. We, I sit behind a laptop or an iPad in this case, I, you know, doing meetings, trying to grow the business. And then sometimes, you know, you want to make sure you don't forget what, what we're actually doing here, which is these, you know, one-to-one -one interactions in the home. And I'll, and I'll give you some stories, but, you know, the company has grown quite large. We have, you know, over 600 full-time employees, thousands and thousands of pals on the platform. Last year we did, you know, 1.6 to 1.7 million hours of companionship. We drove over a million miles with older adults. And so it's, um, all driven by our technology. A Papa Pal really is just a person who's kind and thoughtful and caring and trustworthy. Actually, I'm at the office right now and a pal walked into the front door this morning. And that's been happening more and more as our brands become popular and uh, you know our pal network has been expanded. And it was her first visit she just did today. And she absolutely loved it. She helped an older man who had so much to talk about. And he's just been alone for weeks and weeks at a time. And he's generally fine. And he maybe won't say that he's lonely, but they spent three hours together. He initially just needed someone to clean his house. And so it starts off in this light kind of transactional way. And it very quickly becomes a preferred relationship. We have really positive stories. We have stories that start off negative where like a member may have complete hoarding and a pal walks in and it's a little intimidating. And then they start chipping away at the hoarding and they become best friends and they learn how to organize together. And, you know, sometimes uh, what we find is often is when you're a preferred pal is typically how we set it up, your one-to-one -one relationship, or you may have many members, um, they become part of your family too. So it's not only benefiting the member, it's benefiting the pal. And we've gone from initially college students, uh, social workers, uh, nursing students, to really people that go through our process. Our average pal tends to be a little bit older now, like 35 to 45. Um, and typically, they're what we like to call former family caregivers. So the woman that walked in today lives in Miami, lives nearby, and her, her grandmother passed away. And she just retired from UPS after 20 years. And so she wanted to be able to do something and help the older adults, but also get paid for it. And so it's just a perfect opportunity for individuals like her that want to get into this new care 
uh, workforce. And so the stories are endless. I remember this really fun story of a, a woman member who was um, a surfer, actually. She had, in her in her past, she's like 75 years old. And she's older, she can't surf uh, still, but she has trouble getting out of her house. She had some walking issues. So pal comes to her house, they go to the beach and they just dip their uh, toes in the sand, get you know to the shore of the water and talk about the surfing days. And the pal happened to be, you know, a 35-year-old who surfed. And so you can just imagine the interaction that they have. And the older adult is paying it forward in a way that I don't think we originally realized either. I mean, these stories are endless. We had a member who was on Ronald Reagan's campaign trail and her pals want to be in politics. Like the members are teaching the pals more than the other way around. And a lot of times I think the benefit is is equal, if not more, in the other direction. So it's a really special platform of people connecting to people. When I first started PAPA, my mom came up with an acronym for PAPA, which was People Assisting People Aging. And that's really what it is. And I think it's just awesome to be doing this every day. You know, people say we're doing, doing well by doing good, and it's just the most accurate thing ever. And I'm just so proud to be part of this organization. And I'm just one person. So uh, many on our team make this possible. And you know, we're excited to see where we take it. Well, you're, you are doing good, and it's nice to know you're doing well at the same time. Uh, speaking of, good segue into, I know that, and it's probably less recently now since we had scheduled this before, but you had released some pretty compelling impact data. Um, what do we know about the impact of your model? So we always theorize, like, logically, it makes sense. If you're alone and you don't have anyone, and then you have someone, you're going to be better off. And that likely will show up in better health outcomes and lower costs for the healthcare system. At the end of the day, we are essentially selling this as a membership program to health plans. And so there has to be an ROI of some kind. Health plans care about three things primarily, keeping their members or growing their membership, lowering total cost of care, and improving quality scores. And that really aligns well with what PAPA does. The healthcare system calls this the triple aim. We are perfectly aligned to that. And that's why I call them the PALS ninjas, friendly ninjas. I also have a slight obsession with Japan. I just got back uh, about a month ago. And these are individuals that come and help with things. We're not meant to go in and like take a list of items or like take your blood pressure. But when we're there, maybe we take you to the doctor. Maybe you're feeling nervous and you were going to go to the hospital out of nerves alone and you just needed to talk to someone through telehealth. Maybe you're in a bad mood and you exacerbate that over time and you end up in a bad mental state, we could get that proactively. And so we've done many studies now. You know, Papa's been offering this benefit for about five years now, about four years to large health plans. Uh, we saw in one study a 34% reduction in emergency department utilization. We saw in another study an 11% reduction in readmission. Uh, we also saw in another study that those that were using Papa versus not uh, churned from their health plan uh, almost 16% less than those that didn't have PAPA. And so all these things we assumed logically were happening are happening organically. And then now we use software and our people, the PALS, to do this at a repeatable process at scale. And it's just amazing because I really truly feel we are just scratching the surface. If 80% of health outcomes are driven by social drivers of health, then we're barely scratching the surface. I'm really excited about the impact we've had. But honestly, I just I know that we have so much more to prove and we will do that. And our proof points are showing up in happier and healthier lives of older adults and families. Well, it's I mean, that is amazing. And I think you're tapping into this new vein of moving from like a sickness system, right, to a healthy system. And 
I love that idea of being proactive and not waiting for someone to be sick. And all that impact data certainly proves that you are making a difference, right? That you're helping these people do things earlier, helping them with their mental health, getting them even tactically to places where they need to be so that they don't wait to the last minute. I do want to ask one more business question around this, and we'll get into a couple more personal ones. But since you teed it up, let's talk about what the future of aging in place looks like, and then how do we best help this large and important segment of our population stay happy and healthy? I think you've sort of alluded to some of those, but like, let's wrap it up in a nice, neat bow here. Well, I think it's undeniable that the home is uh, where the heart is, but the home is also where health is. And so people feel most comfortable in their home. And I think because of the pandemic, we've seen that shift in a way that I don't know that it would have shifted. And it's a positive thing. But now the whole healthcare system that was built around uh, facility-based care and sick care is shifting towards value-based care to really align with what's most important for individuals, but proactively helping them. And uh, historically, we would call it like mind, body, and soul. And now we're calling it whole person health, which is just an amazing positive shift in general in the healthcare system and individuals and the way they they view it. And so we're going to keep going down that path uh, and making sure that we're thinking about people from that perspective, proactively versus reactively, and thinking about them as a whole person, not just clinically, uh, but from a whole person health perspective. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to that trend. For us, we expect that all members in America, all people in America will have access to a PAL. doesn't mean you need a PAL right now, but when you do need a PAL, we want to be there for you. It makes a ton of sense. And and I just, I'm, I knew going into this that I was going to appreciate this conversation and I'm appreciating that much more. I do like to ask a couple of sort of final questions to all of our guests. And it's a little bit about your mindset and getting to know you as a person um, during the pandemic. So now three plus years, I've started to ask uh, if you had one wish personal or professional, uh, what would it be? Well, that's a big question. I think just generally, I, I wish that we continue. I'm actually, it's already happening. So I don't want to wish for something that exists, but it does seem like the entire system is focused on whole person health. And it doesn't seem like that's going away now that the pandemic has subsided. I also think the shift into the home is critical. Um, so those are two general things I wish for health. And I, I wish people continue to be nice to each other. I think it goes a long way. I mean, I was joking earlier today that people used to call me a social butterfly and I'm overly friendly and all these things. They were seen as somewhat of a negative for some reason. And now I'm positively uh, excited about the fact that it's seen as, as a good thing. And I think that shift is uh, here to stay. And you even feel it at work and how you talk to people and just, you know, families are coming to Zoom meetings and the babies are crying in the background before you would have hit that and kind of made sure that no one saw what your real life was like. And now we could bring our whole person health or self, sorry, to uh, to work and to our lives. And I, I think it's generally good for uh, humanity. Couldn't disagree with that in any way, shape, or form. That's a, a great wish. Uh, last one, which is a little more frivolous, but again, it's to get to the mindset of you know who you are. And obviously, as you mentioned, you're in Miami. We can see the train going on in the background. Um, you're on a proverbial deserted island, and you can only take one album with you. Don't worry about the technology. Which album would you pick, and why would you pick that album? Uh, I get the chills thinking about this because it means so much to me. And it, honestly, I've, I've leveraged this album and this musician in times where it's been tough, you know, which life isn't always perfect for, for anyone and, and me either. And it's just so inspiring. And it's just something about uh, this person where 
he doesn't seem to have the traditional skills that you would expect for a musician to have. And then he ends up being so special. Maybe you could guess it, but it's Bob Dylan's first album. I actually recently, maybe two years ago, got really into vinyl. And I have like the most amazing vinyl setup in my house. And my dad always would talk about Bob Dylan when he was a kid. He actually had Bob Dylan come to like this middle school private park uh, thing with his uh, teacher because his teacher had happened to be friends with him in the 70s. And so Bob Dylan's first album, hands down, no no, uh, debate about it. Well, I love that. And I think um, I want to say we're probably coming in on north of 300 episodes for this particular podcast. And I don't think. Uh, we've had anyone pick Bob Dylan, which is kind of crazy to me, given what an icon he is and what a poet he is. Yeah, my whole family's from Brooklyn, and I'm a little bit of an old soul. <laughs> well, so I was going to say, I love the fact too that you said you've gotten into vinyl, and I think most of us of a certain age know what it is, and a lot of people today, you know, young and old, are getting back into vinyl, just the warmth of it. So the fact that you knew what an album is, that you had one in mind, <laughs> and it was a good That's iconic a good one, is all helpful. Uh, thank you, Aaron. Well, at this point, we'll wrap it up. So I've had the pleasure of talking with Andrew Parker, who's the CEO and founder of Papa. Uh, What an amazing story. Great company, you know, putting good into the world and succeeding at the same time. Thank you so much for taking the time, Andrew. Thank you. Want more episodes of the Real Chemistry podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Stitcher app, or iHeartRadio via the Health Podcast Network. Go to realchemistry.com for more info.